Revelation 15, verses 1 through 8, and uh, reading through the, the whole chapter of Revelation 15. Let's give our attentive uh, hearing, listening, uh, for this is God's word. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. After this I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened, and out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure, bright linen, with golden sashes around their chests. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to Christ. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and uh, we ask that uh, by the help of your spirit, not uh, human persuasion or eloquence, um, that you would teach us your word, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see, and um, and the wisdom to apply uh, your truth, courage to obey your truth uh, in our lives. We ask that your helper will be here uh, to guide us. And we ask all this in your son's name. Amen. So we're continuing in our series in the book of Revelation and uh, hitting chapter 15 now. And, and through our series so far, we've seen um, two visions uh, in, in that contained the seven series, the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and um, we've entered into, and you really get into next week, the, the next series of seven, that is the seven bowls. And then, not to mention all the other elements, symbols uh, that come in sevens as well, seven churches, seven angels, seven plagues, etc. And And what's happening with each of these seven series is this intensification, uh, building up to the point of completion, and uh, finishing of something. And that's what the number seven symbolizes. Um, it's where everything reaches a climax and comes to an end, completion. So in a sense, the repeated refrain has been, uh, it, it all comes to an end. It will all come to a finale. It will all be finished. In a sense, the, the way of life as we know it, the the systems of this world that we're familiar with, it all comes to an end. Everything will be made new. Nothing will be the same. Right? The, the number seven continues to remind us of that. And it's, it's not just true of the, all the seven series themselves, but this progression in these three seals, trumpets, and bowls, there's a growing anticipation of that end. Now, if you recall, uh, when the seven seals were being opened between chapters five to eight, uh, a fourth of the earth was affected. And that's a figurative number um, that indicates how wide of an impact that judgment is. And when you get to the seven trumpets, a third 
of the earth is affected, and that's chapters 8 to 11. With the seven bowls, interestingly, there's no fraction given. It's the judgment of everything, and it'll be finished. Now, you'll hear more about the seven bowls next week, so I I don't want to go into too much uh, into that. For today, what I want to focus with you on is this very interesting song that we find in the middle of all this. There's this musical interlude, if you will, that's so intentionally placed right in between the, the seven trumpets and the seven bowls, in a sense to kind of force us to pause for a moment and consider the meaning of this song, the song of Moses. Okay. And I really believe this song is placed here to really um, cause us to reflect and consider uh, what this song and the contents of the song provides us. And there are at least three things to consider, so I'll just limit myself to that. Uh, we're going to look at how the song of Moses gives us hope, how it gives us comfort, and how it gives us words. Hope, comfort, words, these three, all right? So first, how, how the Song of Moses gives us hope. On the one hand, right, it seems like this progression in Revelation has been going from less, lesser to worse judgments. In a sense, it's becoming more and more unpleasant. Right? Uh, the, the visions are becoming more and more graphic in a sense. But on the other hand, what that means is all the evil in the world is about to suffer its worst consequences. All unrighteousness, all injustice, all sins will suffer not a lesser fate, but their worst fate, and that is their end. A permanent, eternal end to all evil. That's what God's final judgment brings. And and given that Moses is mentioned here, it's appropriate to draw parallels with, with Exodus and the narrative of Exodus as well. If you take the plagues of Exodus, for example, uh, each time Pharaoh is hardened in his heart, he refuses to let God's people go. The plagues grow worse and worse to the point of the, the judgment upon Egypt becoming complete or finished, if you will, in the 10th final plague and ultimately their obliteration in the Red Sea when in the Egyptian army was no more. That's used here as a sort of historical reenactment of of how the judgment and the wrath of God upon sin will be finished at the end of the world. How we will no longer be, this people of God will no longer be under the bondage of sin and Satan, our spiritual Pharaoh. And according to verse 1, when that terrifying judgment of God comes, it will be great and amazing. The... Another translation says marvelous. This judgment of God, marvelous. Great, amazing. And that only begins to make sense when you parallel that with the, the judgment upon the slave masters in Egypt, all, the, all those who oppressed the Israelites for 400 years in Egypt. When you, um, I'm sure you, all of you have seen the movie Prince of Egypt. Right? If you haven't, I think it's like one of the greatest animations ever made. Um, and, and when you get to the scene where uh, the, the Egyptian army is completely devoured and swallowed up in the Red Sea, completely obliterated, right? Who among us was not cheering in that moment? And, and consider that scene to be great and amazing and awesome. That terrifying scene where in an instant, thousands and thousands and thousands were destroyed. Why? Uh, 
because that was God's final judgment upon evil. Um, The allusion to Exodus continues in verse 2. Verse 2 says, And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. You see here uh, the saints who conquered the beast, and we looked at what that means previously, those who remained faithful to the Lord, to Christ, to the end, right? Those, those who say, even if I am to die in professing Christ, that's, what, that's how I will go. Um, they're standing beside the sea, and what are they doing? They're singing. They stand by the glassy sea, mingled with fire, mingled with judgment, but they're singing. Why? Because they're not in the sea. <laughs> they're, they're standing beside it. They're not consumed by, by the waters. Their enemies are. And in their hands, they carry one thing, harps, a symbol for praise and worship and celebration. And they use that to sing the song of Moses. Uh, Revelation 15 is interestingly a very direct throwback allusion to Exodus 15. Revelation 15 and Exodus 15 are very intimately related. Revelation 15 is really what Exodus 15 was pointing forward to and uh, foreshadowing, if you will. It's where Moses leads Israel in singing a song to God after they cross the Red Sea and the Egyptian army is devoured in the Red Sea and they stand by the sea and praise their Savior. They stand over their enemies as redeemed, liberated people, over their slave masters, their oppressors. And what's left to do? Sing. And when you look at Exodus 15 and when you look at the content of what they're singing, uh, it's really their life summed up and expressed in the song. They were up against the impossible. They were suffering greatly, greatly afflicted, but God delivered them. He saved them. He brought his righteous judgment upon his and their enemies, and now they are people of God and they worship him. All of that is summed up in the song of Moses in Exodus 15. Their whole life, their whole identity summed up in what they sing. And each time they sing that to themselves and to their children and their children's children, they're reminded that no matter what they're facing in life, no matter how impossible your situation is, how difficult your situation is right now, at the end of your story, even if that is the end of the world, you as God's people who have been saved by Moses and for us an even better Moses, you will always remain, remain standing and singing. Just like the Israelites in Exodus 15. Right? So that is to say for the people of God, for you and me, our whole life, if it were to be summed up at the very end of the world, it will be summed up in a beautiful song. And when you really consider that, uh, that being your future hope, you will also begin to feel a rightful obligation to start singing now. No matter how challenging or how difficult or how impossible life, life may seem to you now, you realize you have a reason to sing because you'll be singing at the end of the world. You'd be one of the people standing by the glassy sea singing at the end of the world. So even now we can sing hymns Uh, Like, how can I keep from singing? My life flows on in endless song above earth's lamentation. 
I hear the sweet though far off hymn that hails a new creation. What though my joys and comforts die? I know my Savior liveth. What though the darkness gather round? Songs in the night he giveth. The peace of Christ makes fresh my heart, a fountain ever springing. For all things are mine, since I am his, how can I keep from singing? Or another hymn uh, that I love, we actually have this hanging on our wall at home. Uh, Be still, my soul. Be still, my soul, the Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to thy God to order and provide. In every change he faithful will remain. Be still, my soul, thy God doth undertake to guide the future as he has the past. Thy hope, thy confidence, let nothing shake. All now mysterious shall be bright at last. Uh, There's probably no better evidence uh, that you will be singing on the last day, even when the whole world is undone, at the end of the world, than the fact that you are singing this in the present, in the present trials and tribulations, that you live in this reality uh, of hope, realizing you do have a song that flows on above, above earth's lamentations, that in the midst of all the suffering you experience, you do have a song that hails a new creation, And no matter what kind of a loss you've suffered or you're suffering now, you do have a song that stills your soul and with melody, with with the chorus uh, directing your confidence back to the Lord until everything is bright at last. We can sing now in hope. And the, the literal singing is really just a metaphor for the internal spiritual singing you do with your life as you put all of your practical living hope in God, now, the God of your salvation. Your life now lived in hope is your song. Revelation 15 is giving us an echo of that song now, the song of hope to sing in the present because we'll be singing it at the end of the world. And Secondly, the Song of Moses also gives us a great comfort. Comfort. Um, Here's another very important allusion and parallel between Exodus and Revelation. Just as the Israelites relied on the blood of the Lamb applied to their wooden doors, and that being their reason for making it out there alive, so do the saints of God rely on the blood of the Lamb applied to the wooden cross. So we would make it out of this world alive, freed from our our spiritual pharaoh, uh, sin, death, and Satan. So both the Old Testament people of God and the New Testament people of God are saved by the Lamb, provided by God himself. It's all pointing to Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Um, Just yesterday we were studying in the book of Jude how Jude literally says, Jesus delivered the Israelites out of Egypt. Jesus delivered the Israelites out of Egypt. And in 1 Corinthians 10, it says, the, the people who crossed the Red Sea, they were all baptized into Christ. Babies too. <laughs> Young and old, all who crossed the Red Sea were baptized into Christ. The Old Testament points forward to him. The New Testament points back to him. It's In the end, it all comes down to trusting in 
the God-provided lamb for your salvation. That's what this comes down to. And what does that mean? That means the Song of Moses isn't just the Song of Moses. It's the Song of the Lamb. And that's what it literally says. This isn't just the Song of Moses. It's the Song of the Lamb. Because he's the true reason for us to sing this song. This song is reserved for and it's gifted to those whose hearts have been marked, painted, stained, covered by the blood of the Lamb and therefore cleansed and renewed and redeemed by the Lamb. What else does this mean? This means the reason for our standing tall, our confidence in our future victory over everything that comes against us, that reason is not us. We are not the reason. The reason is the Lamb. Our performance is not the reason. The performance of the Lamb is the reason. Our achievements is not the reason. The Lamb's achievements, they're the reason. It's not because how well we maintain our relationship with the Heavenly Father. It's how well the Lamb has maintained His relationship with the Heavenly Father. And as this Lamb covers us, He he brings us a comfort we can never achieve for ourselves. And that's the the comfort we, we draw from this song and this vision, the song of the Lamb. When you think about why God's judgment is described as great and amazing, because if this is true, then Satan's reign comes to an end. Earth will be purged of all evil. No more wars, no more famine, no more oppression, hatred, violence, abuse, injustices. All of that will be devoured in God's justice in his final judgment. But see, none of that will be true. If we're the reason, if we're the heroes, In fact, if that were the case, if we were the center of this universe and we were the heroes of our own stories, these things will not only not go away, they'll get worse. The reason for a confidence, reason for singing of a new creation has to be some other reason than you and me. And this song gives us, the Song of Moses gives us that reason. It is the Lamb. It is Christ. You know what else this means? I think on a more practical level, I think this frees us from our very self-absorbed and often self-harming, destructive obsession with perfectionism. With perfectionism. Why are you so hard on yourselves? Why is it that you feel like you must do everything well or do nothing at all? Why do you constantly spot the little mistakes that nobody else notices? Why are you so irritated and distressed by the little imperfections about your life? You know why? Because you think you are the reason. You're the reason that things go well. And you're the reason things don't go well. You're the reason that there's any goodness in your life. You're the reason that there's order in your life in the midst of all the chaos. The Song of Moses says, you and I are not the reason. The reason why there's even a hint of, hint of favor, grace, mercy, is all because of the grace and mercy of God. Uh, so that means the reason why you can actually say, without being, it being a cliche, that you ultimately will be okay. Everything will be okay. 
your reason for being able to believe that is not because of you. It's because of God. And if he is truly good enough for you in your eyes, if he really is good enough, you can let go of the fixation on you being good enough. But here's the alternative. Without this lamb in your life, uh, without this lamb who was slain on your behalf and offered on the altar, you will inevitably offer yourself up as the lamb on the altar of perfectionism, on the altar of people's approval, on the altar of fame and recognition. The comfort the lamb provides you is Receive him with empty hands. Receive the gift of this son and you will have mercy, grace, and love everlasting. Be comforted by that. Find yourself at peace with that. Call your soul to be still in view of this land. He's the reason we sing. And and lastly, uh, consistent with that, uh, the Song of Moses gives us actual words. And, and basically what that means is, since we are not the reason, we should not be the main content of our songs because we're not the point. The, the lyrics that flow out of our lives should not be about me, myself, and I. But look at, look at these words given to us in the Song of Moses, starting from verse 3. Great and amazing are... My deeds? Your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. These are not vague uh, descriptions or uh, emotional, instinctive expressions about how I feel about God in the moment. These are, first of all, this is about the mighty power of God and, and all that his power alone can achieve for us, which is his victory over his and our enemies, sin, death, and Satan. If you, if you think about it, right, all the, all the armies, all the military power in the history of the world combined would not have the power to resurrect you from, from the dead. All the wealth in history, all the, all the wealth and possessions in the world uh, would not have the power to remove a single ounce from your debt of sin. Uh, What we are totally powerless to do, God alone has the power to do, and he has done it. God alone has the power, and he has done it. Do you rest in that? Does your life song echo this truth that in your weakness, he's not calling you to be strong. He's calling you to know that he is strong for you. So let the song of Moses, the words here, Redirect your attention to his power and his strength away from your, yourself, away from self-sufficiency to a complete and total dependence on God. And the song goes on to say, just and true are your ways, i.e., not mine. Right, this is the part of the song where it emphasizes the wisdom of God that triumphs over the foolishness of man. The wisdom in acknowledging God in all of our ways for us to take the back seat, for us to be the little kids in the back seat that ask their parents, where are we going and are we there yet? And not for you to be in the front saying, God, here's where I'm going and you're coming with me. 
Literally letting God lord over you because he is lord and you call him that. To acknowledge him as king of all the nations. This song calls us to meditate on this every day and, and strive to actually live as his subjects in his kingdom. Verse 4 goes on to say, Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? Turns out my life is not about glorifying my name, but his. For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. He is holy, and he alone is holy. He alone is truly pure and blameless and and sinless, and therefore worthy of our worship and praise and, and adoration. He ought to be feared and glorified. And we ought to live in the fear or the awareness of him and for the glory of his holy name. What does that mean? It means you you don't let unholiness in. You resist sin. You you fight against it. You, You learn to hate what God hates. And you sing about it even. As you sing about God's holiness, you, you sing against, in a sense, unholiness. People sing about what they hate all the time. I don't know if you noticed, right? In, just in our culture in general, there are a lot of often silly songs out there uh, singing about just things that people hate, such as uh, ex-boyfriends, uh, the police, or haters, because haters are just going to hate. Uh, we have a song about hate. We hate sin because we love holiness. That's our song. And, you, and, and at some point in, in the way that you live, your, your life song has to echo this. I hate sin. I hate what God hates. I hate all that is unholy. I'm not casual about it. I'm not going to choose my convenience over this. I hate it. This is part of your song. All this to say... Uh, Guys, God has given us not just a reason to sing, but contents to sing about. He has given us the words. Right? This is not a call to just sing about how you feel in the moment. No, sing about who God is, what he has done. And the song, again, is, is just a metaphor for all of life. It's not just what we sing with our lips, but what we live out with our hands and feet, with our thoughts and plans and desires, with our well-being, with our time, with our money, with our energy, how we go about our career, how we go about our relationships, what we do when we pick up our phones, when we sit in front of a screen. All of this makes up your life, and all of it is a song. And the question is, what are you singing? Sing the song of Moses. Sing the song of the Lamb and start living in it. Live in the hope of the Lamb. Live in the comfort of the Lamb. And live in the words of the Lamb. Because you'll be singing it at the end of the world. Start singing it now. And start living it now. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for this vision. We thank you for this song. Uh, Lord, I pray, um, if we've been singing a different tune, uh, you would silence that and you would help us to begin harmonizing with your song um, and sing and live uh, in a way that echoes your hope, your comfort, 
uh, your word, your truth, all found uh, in your son, Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord, help us to sing this song that hails the coming new creation uh, even now. And no matter what we're going through right now, how, how difficult it may be, no matter how impossible things may seem, Lord, help us to catch this vision, this vision of the end where we stand beside uh, the glassy sea and, and we sing and we celebrate. May this, Lord, be our hope and our comfort today. And we ask all this in your son's name. Amen.